This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Absolutely delighted and honoured to be joined by a legend and an icon of football. I know he doesn't like the word legend, so I have to watch what I say. An icon of Manchester United, a man who's in the Scottish Football Hall of Fame as well. Paddy Creran, thank you for joining me. You forgot I played for Celtic. I was at Celtic for six years. You certainly were. That was the first club I was going to mention, so a Celtic icon. You didn't mention him. You didn't mention him. A Celtic icon, a Manchester United <laughs> icon, and also a, a Celtic fan as well, which is which is important yeah. to remember. Yeah, yeah. Funny enough, when I was growing up as a kid in Glasgow, that was my team, of course, Celtic. But we always, had, my mother coming from Ireland, loved Johnny Carey. She was a Celtic fan, but obviously Manchester United was a team that was followed because of Johnny Carey. Been coming from Dublin and being the captain of Manchester United, it's crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely mad, and, and and for you, Paddy, what was it like? What was your upbringing like? Because you were born, obviously. I, I don't want to make you feel really old, but quite a long time ago. The I late, am bloody old, yeah, I'm eighty. The no, late thirties. I was, I was, I was born, nineteen thirty-nine. I mean, I was born and brought up in the Gorbals, and to be fair, in actual fact, when I got to about four and five, every summer my mother sent us there homeland which was Dick Gidor and Donegal we were there every summer up until God knows when, when I finished when I come to Manchester United I think that's when I stopped going to Gidor and Donegal but I loved it it was absolutely fantastic to go to Gidor and Donegal beautiful place well that's where all, all my relatives are there my sister's now got a house there as well I've got two sisters living there no, in Donegal in general, another sister lives just outside Letterkenny. Most people from Glasgow would know those areas in actual fact because a lot of Donegal people, I think, try to second world warms a lot of them living in Glasgow. So there's a big connection with Donegal from people in Glasgow. In terms of yourself, Paddy, who was your football hero growing up? Oh, did you ever, would you ever heard of Charlie Tilly? I have, yes. Charlie, Charlie Tilly was came from Belfast and he was just absolutely fantastic on the ball and a right Mickey take. He had everything going from he was George Best before George Best came on the scene, but what a player he was. I mean, I happened to be at Falkirk one day. I used to go and watch Celtic loads of away games because it was then we're all up in the Gorbals, we're all Celtic fans. I remember going to Falkirk about 53, I think it might have been, 1953. Celtic beat Falkirk in the cup. I think it was 3-2 or 4-3, I'm not sure. But Celtic got a corner. Charlie Tully took the corner and scored direct from the corner. And the referee, typical referees in Scotland at that time, he said Celtic, made them take it again. Well, they scored again, didn't they? Absolutely took two corner kicks and scored from both of them, one after another. 
but he was he was a big hero of most of the Celtic fans. I think at that particular time, great entertainer, great player. And for, I was fortunate enough when I went to Celtic in 1958. Charlie was in the end of his term then, so I got to know him, which was great. When to, when you get to know one of your heroes. And in terms of going to Celtic in 58, as a boyhood fan, your family Celtic fanatics as well, yeah. just how much did that mean to you? It was just incredible. I mean, I was playing at Ashfield for Dundalk or Hibs, and I can't remember the chief scout at Celtic's name at that time. After Ashfield, they came and said, we'd like to sign you for Celtic, and I was just totally stunned. I couldn't go home. I, was, I would be about... 16, 17. I couldn't go home quick enough to tell my mother more than anything else. She was a massive Celtic fan and she was thrilled to bits. That's what happened. And when you, you start training at Celtic, when you, you mention the fact you get to meet your heroes as well, does it take a while to sink in to realise that you're officially a Celtic player? Yes, of course it does. I mean, I went to I was working in the shipyards in Clydebank and Fair, in Fairfield, and Govan rather, not Clydebank. And going to Celtic was an incredible thing, you know. I was playing with Dantoker Hibs, and Dantoker Hibs were a top-class junior team. They had loads of people that went to a senior club. I think Dennis Gillespie was, was one that I played alongside, and he went to Celtic. Jim Kennedy, I think, was another one that gave him Dantoker Hibs to Celtic. But it was just going there and meeting people you'd seen playing, the likes of Charlie and things like that. What, what I done? I, I used to go up, if I was off, I would go up during the day and train at Celtic. I'd be there at 9 o'clock in the morning, especially at 10 o'clock. And to be training with people you grew up admiring was incredible. And I go back, lots of people, I remember Bobby Evans, Bertie Peacock, Willie Fairley. People like that, Dick Beatty was the goalkeeper. Duncan Mackay was getting into the Celtic team at that particular time. It was just a great experience. I mean, for me as a kid coming from the goal, it was absolutely incredible. And in terms of the legendary Jimmy McGrory, what was he like to work with, obviously, as your manager? Jimmy McGrory, he never, came out, he never trained with us at all. There was people come out and train us, but... It was a typical thing of managers in those days. Managers didn't take the training. I'm just trying to think, I can't think of his name, Bob took, took the training. And the training in those days was just running around the blooming pitch. And then you, you played a, a game at the end of, the, of doing all this running. I mean, it's different today when, you, when everything revolves around the ball. And Maddy just got out and ran around the ground for you were banjacked. And then you got a ball out and played for maybe 15, 20 minutes and that was it. Totally different world then altogether. There was, wasn't the same thought put into football there is today. It's a totally different world today. It was totally different world after that. I'm talking about the 60s. It's a totally different world today with football. You don't just get them out and get them running around the pitch every day. I mean, you might do that at the start of the season. They do training, but... Certainly not. Certainly not like it was in my day. And in terms of yourself, I've got to ask you, to score a goal for Celtic, never mind just playing for the club, just sum up that feeling and how special that was, it was for you. absolutely incredible. Strange enough, funny enough, one of the first goals I scored for Celtic was the Ibrox against Rangers. And uh, it was the 
oh, one of the cocktails, one of the lessons, not the F, not the Scottish cup, it was oh, some some charity cup or some something like that. That's what we finished up. The game finished one each, they took penalties and then just beat us in penalties. <laughs> so it wasn't, but it was quite funny. I was living in the Gormals. I'd come out of Ibrox after the game and get a bus to go home. Nobody had cars or anything like that in those days. So you just, you made your own way home after that. I mean, there was the odd player that maybe was a big name player at that particular time would have cars, but like the bus, we just got on the... Well, when I was training at Celtic Park, the tram car all the time, some, sometimes you'd walk from the Gormals up to Brigton and up. London Road to Celtic Park, but the majority of the time it would be a, a car, maybe the trolley bus first, and later on it was the trolley bus, and then you got a number nine car at Glasgow Cross going to York and Shuggle, and that dropped you off at Celtic Park. Different world to you than it was then. Uh, you were a kid and you enjoyed every minute of it. Well, that's it. You've, as I say, with football nowadays, they've got so much off the park. But I think some of the time, you would just wish some of them would, would focus on their main role, which is as a footballer, because as you'll know far I, more I, than you me. Know something, I, I get the needle with that with lots of people. Players today do focus on the game. So they've got a car to drive to. So what? Things have improved since, since my day. I get the needle when people have a go at footballers. Footballers work very hard to get where they are. It's a blooming tough game to keep your position in the team. But everyone seems to say, oh, they're overpaid, they shouldn't get this, they shouldn't. I don't agree with that at all. Players were getting robbed in my day. Why should they not get it? When you look at football today, the most popular programme in television is plumbing football. I mean, I think more so now with the advent of Sky Television. I'm going to watch a match tonight. Everybody's watching football on television. People are paying for that pleasure of doing it. So why shouldn't the players not get it? I'm, I'm, I was a players union man at Old Trafford for many, many years and I'm going back to when match of the day started coming on at eight, nine o'clock around but nine, half nine or ten o'clock Saturday night. And I, I, I went one right, Cliff Lloyd was the chairman of the players union at that particular time. The players union, very, very strong union. They are, I know they are in Scotland now but they were always strong in England. And I'm used to kick up rows, and I says, why are we not getting paid for that? I says, it's the most popular television programme on a Saturday night, the most important time that people watch football, but they all want to watch football. You don't get paid for it. How the hell is that? I kicked up. So, oh, I, was, I didn't get fed up listening to it. But to be fair now, when you look at television to this, the extent of it now, that helps pay for players' wages now, the, the wages that players are getting today, which they didn't get in my time, paid by the people from television. In terms of your, your time at Celtic, Paddy, six years at the club, over 100 appearances, what would you say are yeah. the real highlights of your time at Celtic? There wasn't really a highlight in actual fact, because I wanted to win the league, I wanted to win the cup. We didn't win anything. We didn't win anything. And that's what galled me more than anything else because the people that ran the club at that time were amateurs. They couldn't see further than the end of their nose, loads of them. I'm not going to mention any names, but there were people there that hadn't a blooming clue. Jockstein kind of took after the reserve team. Jock was absolutely brilliant. You've never seen the enthusiasm they, they played. They're all young in those days. Then Jock left, and that was a disaster. 
Jock left and went to Dun- Dun- Dunfermline. Went to first. Uh, I can't remember actually. But then Dun- we got to the cup final and Dunfermline finished up beating us in the cup final. Jock was the manager that knew all the players that were playing for Celtic because Jock had more or less brought most of us up as kids. Absolutely brilliant man he was. Absolutely brilliant. From Celtic to Manchester United, what's it like when you get the phone call and you find out a guy like Sir Matt Busby's interested in you? you know, I, I, I was a Celtic fan. I, I like Manchester United, but I didn't really want to leave Celtic. It was a forced thing on me more than anything else. and They dropped me out of the team because they wanted rid of me, the people in charge. of it. I think Bob Kelly was the chairman at that particular. I think the club was more interested in getting money than and being such, it was like that up until Jock came and then it all changed when Jock became manager. It was all a matter of, can we get money out of it? I didn't want to go to Manchester United. I was happy at Celtic, but they wanted the money. And I mean, I couldn't have gone to a better manager and a better club. There's no question about that. It was a great, great club, Manchester United. And do you think, even living in Glasgow, everybody in English team and I supported Manchester United. So it's just crazy, isn't it? They're a great club, Manchester United, no question about that. And when you go down to, to, to Old Trafford, what was your first impressions of Sir Matt when you went in the door? A gentleman of the highest quality. In all the time under Matt at Manchester United, I never heard them swear once. Can you imagine? Well, it wasn't far from Glasgow. Can you imagine somebody participating in football that never used bad he never ever did. Never heard him swear in my life. <coughs> I think Alex Ferguson might be a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> Alex coming from Govan as well would be a, a little bit different. Matt was a gentleman, but when Matt spoke to you, you listened. And he could put the fear of death into you by saying different things about not playing well or not doing this what you should have done or not doing that. It was fantastic at that. He was a great man, but never ever used bad language. It's hard to imagine that Indian football wouldn't use bad language. But that, that really is incredible. And well, if you took bad language out of the football game, the fans would be quiet all during the game, wouldn't they? Well, absolutely. Well, I mean, it, was, it, was, it was funny, when I first came to England at first, you very rarely heard fans in England swear. They did in Scotland all the time. You very rarely. And then there was a little bit of a, a swear word started to creep in it. And, and Matt Busby wrote an article in the programme in one of the games. Would you please refrain from swearing because there's children and there's women and all that sort of thing. And I remember one of the games, we weren't playing very well and they started singing, this would make you want to swear, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> But now swear is a common occurrence and you get it in television and everywhere now. So it's become part of the English language totally now rather than people in utter disgust if this war. You mentioned the fact that at Celtic you didn't win one of the major trophies that was a real no. frustration. But you go to Man United, you get to the 63 FA Cup final, you're playing Leicester. You win the game 3-1. Dennis Law scores a goal. David Herd gets, gets two goals as well. Just sum up what it was like playing at Wembley that day for you. You, you wouldn't, but it was fantastic that you fight. Wembley would be the place that everybody always dreamed of playing. But let me tell you about Wembley. I got the Man of the Match award that day at Wembley. 
I gave a man of the match award. Do you know what it was? What? A cigarette lighter. <laughs> I've never smoked in my bloody life. It's lying about here, so I don't know where it is. It could be gone somewhere, but a bloody cigarette. Can you imagine that? A man of the match, a cigarette lighter. It was funny enough in actual fact playing that cup final at Wembley because 63, there was a lad, I was playing right half of Manchester United, there was a right half playing for Arsenal. He was born not very far from me actually, Frank McClintock. Frank McClintock was not very far from Clyde Stadium, Shawfield. Yeah. And the Gorbals, the next, the next, you'd you take you five minutes to walk from where I live in the Gorbals, maybe five or six minutes to walk to Shawfield Stadium. But Frank was born there, but he was, he was, Leicester City that day, so it was amazing two number four from that little area in Glasgow playing against each other in an FA Cup final. I don't think that ever happened before. And getting your hands on the trophy at the end, just you mentioned that how special that must be, and, and and I imagine because of that frustration, as we've said at Celtic, that lifting that trophy must have been even extra special. It was because Manchester United were going through a that particular they hadn't done anything since the crash in 58 and winning the cup gave everybody a lift we won the league two years later then we won the league two years after that then we won the European Cup it got better and better I think one of the first trophy for any team or any players in actual fact gives them a big lift to think well I can do I mean we played you're about just thought with the league when we played Leicester City. Leicester City were so, so I can't remember what I'm not a gambler, so I wouldn't know what the betting was, but they were not even about five or sixty one on or something to beat Manchester United. They were the big, big favourites to beat United in the cup. We weren't the I can imagine Manchester United playing in the cup final of any cup final and not being favourites. We weren't favourites then. They were strong favourites to beat us. We absolutely hammered them. Hammered them. Dennis was a key player that day and also a, a fellow Scot as well. Just sum up the quality of Dennis Law. Oh, Dennis was a fantastic player. Dennis was a fantastic player. I'll tell you how good Dennis Law was. Matt Budby, all his life that I knew him, he was the best player you ever had, best player you ever had. I would never say. We got him one night in town, we were in a restaurant, a few glasses away, and I said to him, I said, boss, you must... Who was the best player you ever had at Manchester United? You know, he never even hesitated, Dennis Law. Wow. Now, you think of the players that played here, Bobby Charlton, Duncan Edwards, George Best. So the players, the play, Dennis Law, he said. There's, there's no yeah. higher praise that, than that. That, 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 that. That's how good Dennis Law was. Matt tried to send him from... Where was it? Where was it first? Huddersfield. Matt tried to send him yeah. from Huddersfield when he was about 15 and a half, 16, but Huddersfield wouldn't sell him. Then he went, then he finished up going to Italy. But Matt was desperate to send him then when he was about 15, 16. That's how he was a great, great player. Great, great player. Another one of the all time greats that I know you, well, I know COVID and coronavirus has sort of stopped it, but I know you see him, we used to see him very regularly at the games. Sir Bobby Charlton, just for those of the younger generation who don't know, what was Sir Bobby like as a player? Bobby was the shyest man that God ever created, but he was one of those players that every time he'd done something, oh God, he was fantastic, Bobby. I, I used to, I wasn't a best runner in the world, I used to watch Bobby run and he was so athletic and 
what was his what was his best for his right or his left? He couldn't tell. They're both equally as good as one another. He's a fantastic player, Bobby, and such a shy, shy person you would not believe. I mean, that's the thing about football to a great degree. I need all these stories about they're having a go at players and the papers all the time. They don't know know the players. They don't actually know them as such. But when you live with somebody every day, you get to know them. Bobby was as shy as anything. Found it difficult to have conversations with people outside his own little clique of players. He was that shy. But what a player. What a player. That's the world we live in. The, The media can create a different aspect of, of somebody than somebody that actually knows them. And you know the amazing number of people that thought Bobby was a bit snobbish and big-headed because he, 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 he never, he wasn't really a big, sorry, he wasn't really a, speaking all the time. People people always used to think he was big-headed or he's a snob and he doesn't speak to you. It's just that he was shy. It's a hard to, when you get a player of the quality of, of People find it difficult to know how shy. I went to the museum at Manchester United was opened by Kelly. <clears throat> I went down to meet him, of course, Kelly, the great player. I couldn't believe how small he was. But he was as shy as anything as well. <laughs> Spoke English perfectly, but quite said, opened the museum at Manchester United. That's, of course, the club of Fox, and I don't know what, but to bring him all the way from Brazil. But what a nice man. I couldn't believe how small he was. But what a player. But you find that with the majority of the great, great players. They're quite shy. I, I, I think the majority of players are quite shy anyway. You don't see the many of them coming on shouting about themselves or doing anything like that. But people will always have a, always give them a mention about somebody. But they, they don't really know the person. But they can see anything they like about them. And, Unfortunately, there's people alongside there that probably believe what they say. But I, I've never met a footballer yet that I disliked. And I'm not talking about just the what I played with. I'm talking about the ones I played against. I watched a programme early on today, and I think it was Paul Gascoigne. It was on. Paul Gascoigne couldn't speak. He was so shy. It was an, an incredible thing for, I don't know, what, for something many years ago. He he's so shy, the kid. What a player. But he's been abused by the media since God knows when. For doing things that don't even matter. That's Honestly, don't believe what you get in the papers. You look at the date, and if the date's right, that's the nearest they'll get to the truth. <laughs> a great way to put it, Paddy. Um, yeah. One of the things that you mentioned, the fact that the FA Cup's a big moment for you in your career, and then you go on to win those two league titles. Everyone yeah. always talks about league titles in the sense that it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, and to win any league title, you have to be an incredible team. So just how that's proud true. are you looking at those two titles? Because that's over the course of a full season. I mean, don't forget, England two games it wasn't like it is now 30, I'm not sure 38 I think it is there was 42 and you played in pitches that wouldn't be allowed to get to play on you could you could go over the they used to play the day before Christmas day boxing day and the boxing the day after but they played three games in four days you could be that's brick hard there was no under soil heating in those days that would have come in late late this Later on in the 60s and early 70s, there's no central heating here. 
if you printed pictures of her ice bound, you couldn't say, oh, ridiculous. They wouldn't play games like that today. They wouldn't be allowed. But that's the way it was then. Christmas teas, you went out and played because after Christmas Day, everybody wants to go out to a football match, particularly in England. I'm sure it was the same in Scotland, but they didn't have games in boxing there. I'm going to read a quote to you, Paddy, and I want to see if you know who it's from. I always yeah. looked around for Paddy Crerand. I loved playing with him. He wasn't a dirty player, but he was case-hardened, tough Scottish when it came to a fight. <laughs> Is that somebody playing with it? It's George Best. Who's that, George? George's a great player. But I, you'd have to help George. George, typical of English football, you get somebody that's an outstanding player, gets kicked. Post. The referees from the present day with the their idea of the game today have been referee engagement George Best didn't play. Full backs would get northern off every week. Not just full backs, maybe get the odd midfield player get the set. A tough, tough game and when you go back to the sixties and seventies, it's you get away with literally things today you wouldn't get away with then. You wouldn't have got away. No, if if a player played from my day, come in and played today in the games today and played the way he played in the 60s. He wouldn't be on the field 15 minutes. He'd be getting sent off every week. It was a different game then and a much tougher game. There was no prisoners taken in. You, you talk about winning those two titles that obviously get you into the European Cup. Before we yeah. talk about the European Cup, in terms of George as a player, he was excellent. As you know, I do a show with Willie Morgan, and Willie always talks about, even in training, George was, was a hard worker. Brilliant. Great trainer he was. Absolutely fantastic. Well, to have that ability, and he'd be a great trainer. He was. I mean, at the weekend, I don't think most football lived the way you're supposed to live, maybe drank a little bit too much, I ate too much, but most of back in it again, it was hard work. But George was a great trainer, but George was just a football fanatic. He loved it. I mean, you, you, you'd, you'd finish training, and I like to stay out in the pitch after training and try little things. You might be lucky to get a goalkeeper in, take shots from outside the 18-yard line. One of the favourite things we used to do, because there's no goalkeeper, trying to hit the crossbar. You'd get the ball making yard line, you'd have a load of balls trying to hit the crossbar. So it was better than most people at that, hitting the crossbar. Tough little things you do that you enjoy about the ball. I mean, a lot of people think people finish training and then they're away. It's not like that. You're doing something you love to do. So you'll stay out longer and keep the ball and mess about and do all sorts of things. Players are hard-working people to a great degree. You have to be if you want to stay at a top level. Absolutely. Totally agree with you. And In, in terms of the, the European Cup, everyone focuses on the final, of course, with Benfica, but really look at that semi-final. Real Madrid of all teams to play. I mean, you couldn't get anything tougher than that before you get to a final. Well, we beat them 1-0 at Old Trafford. We played them all. We were 3-1 down at half-time. 3-1 down and... You know, everybody thought, oh, we're going to get a real turn in here. But Mark was terrific at half-time. Reminded it wasn't 3-1, it was 3-2, and you need another goal and all this sort of thing. Turn. We goal didn't count, and was it? Anyway, anyway, we come out in the second half, a, a different team, and we played them off the pitch. Finished up, we scored twice to make it three each. 
And when it got to three weeks, we're not very far from there. And we sort of shut down then and just defended for the last five or ten minutes. I think if we'd have kept going, we probably would have won the game. Really, Real Madrid is a great, great, great club. Great, great teams have had down through the years. The record in Europe, in Europe proves that because they wouldn't more times than NDLs. And Real Madrid was always the dream team for most people. When, I mean, I, I, I happened to be in Ireland with Celtic when Real Madrid played at Hamden Park against Eintracht Frankfurt in 1961. They watched it on television. What a game of football it was. Can, can you imagine a European Cup final finishing 7-3? 7-3. But they were, they were fantastic, Real Madrid. And you think of Di Stefano probably was the best player I've ever seen in my life. Centre forward for Real Madrid. You asked a lot of the people, Bobby Charlton, I, well, goes on, goes into a different planet when you mention Alfredo Di Stefano. He's the best player I've ever seen or ever played against. Absolutely incredible. One of the other guys I want to ask you about before we talk about the final itself, Nobby Styles. What was he like to play with? Because everyone always Nobby says. Was, Hard as nails. Fantastic to play. You never heard them to use bad language like Nobby done in the pitch. <laughs> he moaned. He moaned at everybody. He never stopped. But it kept. It, it got you at it. Who's that little so and so over there? He can't see further than he's right. He had, you know, he wore what do you call them, contact lenses during the game. He couldn't see. <laughs> wow. Off the pitch, he was. He, he wore big thick glasses. He was blind as a bloody bat. But he wore contact lenses on the pitch. Great player, great competitor, football player that you couldn't believe. And you're thinking, Nobby was about five foot five or something. And he was playing alongside the centre half. Could read the game that you wouldn't believe. When you look at when England played the World, won the World Cup in 1966, half Ramsey played him in the middle of the park. Didn't play him alongside the centre half, played him in the middle of the park. That's how good a player he was. But never, well, he got acknowledged, obviously, from the United supporters and the people he played with. Other people disliked him intensely because they couldn't tackle if he hit you, he hit you. How did Sir Matt prepare you going into that final as a team? Because not only is, are you getting to a European Cup final, but it's at Wembley, it's in England, so in a sense, a wee bit of added pressure maybe? No, it wasn't an actual fact. I mean, we'd all played at Wembley, all the United players. Maybe half of the Benfica team probably hadn't played at Wembley. I mean, Wembley was picked long before. We, we, we never knew when we started off the competition it was going to be at Wembley. They pick it later on in the season of where they're going to play it, and Wembley was the choice. And when an English team get near, everybody said, well, that's an unfair advantage. I suppose to a certain degree it is because it's easier for United fans to go to Wembley than it would be from, for people from Portugal. I mean, the support of Wembley was just incredible in actual fact. It took over Wembley, the United supporters that night. It was just incredible, the whole scenario, leaving the hotel, you know, which is a bit outside London, to come to the ground and the reception we got. And we went there from the kickoff and you're just getting to the stadium. It was just an incredible situation. What did Matt say to you before that game? Did they say anything? I just spoke about the most important thing. It was a scorching hot night. Scorching hot night. The most important thing he said was keep possession. Don't give the ball away easily. Keep possession. Make sure you 
you find your own player. And I remember he, he was on when we got to extra time, he was on a that bit of well, keep possession, keep possession, don't give it away, keep tired, not tired than what you are, and just keep possession and let them chase the ball. We took the centre, it can pass back from the centre and it's straight to one of their players. Obviously, <laughs> it started coming extra time. The first thing I did was pass it. <laughs> I've been on about keep the ball, keep the ball. Anyway, we finished up with it through anyway. Well, you you mentioned extra time there, so one each at the end of full time. You go into extra time, and then you get three goals. George scores, Bobby gets another, uh, and Brian Kidd as well. I mean, to win four one in any game, never mind the European Cup final, that must have been an incredible moment. Well, they were a tired team actually. The thing Matt stressed about them when we went into injury extra time was about how. They were all sitting on the ground. Matt wouldn't let us sit down. We sat down for about a minute and then he'd like, get up on your feet. Look at them, they're all tired and all that sort of stuff. It was just a G he was giving you, of course. But, I mean, I, one of the funny stories about the, the final, she Brennan, God rest his soul, was dead now, but he was right back for Manchester United. He always maintained that he made the second goal that George scored in the first minute of injury time. What happened in actual fact was a pass back to Alex Stepney. And Alex Stepney, Brian Kidd got a touch on his head. George got in the end of the head, around a couple of players and stuck it in the back of the net to make it 2 1. First minute of extra 10, so it's a sickener for them. He passed it to the goalkeeper. Alex put it up the pitch. <laughs> he said that he made the goals here. Just because past the point. But he didn't for the game. You could have put after you'd won and all that sort of thing. There was a party in the hotel. Well, there was a banquet in the hotel. The banquet had been organised before the game. So you don't know if you're going to win or not. But it was, it was fantastic we'd won. So it was just great. It was great. Just what's it like when you lift the European Cup itself? Do you feel if you lifted the European Cup? I would just feel on top of the world. I just think it'd be well, the ultimate exactly moment. Everybody else felt. That's exactly what everybody else felt. Is it heavy? Not when you win it, it's not. It <laughs> may, may, may be heavy when you don't win it, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> A great answer. Um, Life after the, the European Cup win, um, our, our good friend, mutual friend, Willie Morgan joins the club and, and he always tells us a story, Pat, that, that you were late quite a lot. I wasn't the best of timekeepers. Uh, I, I agree with Willie there, but yes. I was always... That, that was even turning up when we were... We, you, you, you get a, we're not playing at Old Trafford, you'd be getting a coach everywhere, except to London, you got the train. And the number of times I got a break going over off map for, oh dear me, who the hell do you think you are keeping all the Manchester United directors and players waiting? That was the biggest. I don't think I was much late after that. I think I was at the beginning, but when Matt gave me that going over, I thought, no, I can't do this again. And the thing about it, I live here in Sale. I could drive down to Old Trafford in about six minutes. 
Six minutes and I'd be at Old Trafford. It's crazy, I don't know. It's crazy. In the, the last few years of your career, how do you feel when you're coming towards the end of your playing career? Is it the same joy you get or because your body's getting older? No, you get the same. You, you know when the pitch gets longer. I think that, that's the main thing. You're training, you're training hard all your life and training gets difficult and the pitch gets bigger and all that sort of thing. It's not nice to be at the top now, all of a sudden you've got to give the game up because you love playing. That, that's the one thing you love to do is playing. But unfortunately, it comes to an end for everybody. And was coaching uh, always in your mind? Go on. Was coaching always on your mind? It was, yes, to a great degree. Yeah. yeah it always was. Came here by then, but that's another story. And in terms of when you, you, you stopped playing, was staying at United something that was just a no-brainer and the, the right decision for you? Well, that, that's, yeah, that was. And then Tommy Doxter came along and that changed everything. Well, his era, I, of I course. Don't want, I don't want to talk about him. Not a problem. Well, as I say... I, I, I asked Willie Morgan about him. <laughs> Willie, Willie always, he, he does not hold back. And it was an era for the club that... That was was just had more downs than ups, as, as you've said, and and from there, Paddy, you also managed Northampton. Was that something that you wanted to do, be a manager in your own right? Yeah, I, I did, but it was very very difficult because I was I was living away from home at the time. It was very very difficult in actual fact. So I decided, no, I'm coming home. I left and came back to Manchester. It was. It was difficult living in a hotel and living away from your family. And I was there a year and I thought, no, I can't do this. So I left. And that was it. You left and since then you've been known for being on radio, being on TV, oh, obviously. Television and, well, I, I'd done three World Cups with ITV. We'd done the 70 World Cup final and the best team ever, Brazil, won it. Absolutely incredible the and we've done the World Cup in 74 and 78 for ITV. The great times, Malcolm Allison was there, Derek Dugan. Oh, I can't remember all of them, but great fun. We spent three weeks in London doing the World Cup. It was incredible. You and met everybody in actual fact. You, you wouldn't believe some of the people you meet and when you're on television doing the World Cup. We met quite a few there. There was... Oh, I can't from Saudi Arabia. Some we met the Arab people from Saudi Arabia in their hotel. They're all football mad, actually. And I'm talking about the people at the top, not not the ordinary. Um, the sheikhs and all that. So you meet loads of football's such a fantastic game worldwide. Everybody's a football fan. You'd be amazed at the people you meet in life through football. Incredible, incredible. You get all the film stars and. Of we 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 are myself and Malcolm and Derek Dugan. We go back to the hotel. We go down to the bar. No, but a pub. Many a pub. Malcolm knew London very well. I didn't know London all that great. And we were in there. And the program we we would do a program after the game and go out, go out at night time. And we're in this pub. Who comes in but Michael Keane? And Michael Keane looks at the three of us standing in. He says, what are you doing standing here? You're on television. I'm going back to watch the programme. What are you doing? 
I says, Michael, I've brought out this new thing about the Kate, the programme. <laughs> he, says, he says, I'm running back. He says, I'm going back to watch it anyway. He says, because it's absolutely fantastic. The three of you, all that. But he was desperate to get back to watch. But I, I don't think many people would, could tape record the games like they do today to a great degree. He was rushing back to, to watch Michael Caine, big, big film star. Wow. Great lad he was, actually. As well as ITV, you've also been on MUTV for many years and obviously oh, attend. For, since, since I first started, actually. And also go to United Games a lot. Just how much enjoyment do you get out I look of. At United, I do the games for television. I do all the United Games for television. I, I enjoy every minute of it. I don't do as many away games now as, <coughs> as I did do because the club think I'm a bit too old to be doing all the travels. So I do all the home matches. I love it. You become a big fan of the club. The club, they're a great club. You become a big fan. And you know, you, you get to know that. That's what they get to know. One of the great... There's an, there's an, one of the execs, we, we, so I go to after every game, but two sons and my two grandsons are always in there, and they don't, they're not going to seats in there. It's too expensive, but they go in there after the game to meet me. And the number of people that are in there from all parts of the world, you meet more Irish than anything, but you meet people from everywhere. And it, it's great fun actually going and people come up and talk to you. And you think I'm difficult to talk. I'm not, I love talking to people, especially people from different countries. The number of people you meet from, oh, it's incredible. I'm, I'm trying to think of, I was at dinner at Old Trafford just before the, the, People, the, the game got closed down. What's that country next to where the Americans were, were at war for years? Vietnam? Vietnam. Country next to Vietnam. I can't think of the name at offhand. I went to dinner at Old Trafford, I'm going back about six months ago, and there was 30 people from the supporters club from this country at the game. I'm thinking, my God almighty. There was a dinner the night before, old players in it, and this crowd were all there. And then they were at the game the following day. What's the name of the country? Bloody hell. Thailand? No, it's not Thailand. Well, it's United with a massive support in Thailand. God, I went there with United. It was madness. Absolute madness. How much do you... What was the Americans? Somebody, somebody would be thinking we're idiots. In the Second World, the Second World War, when they were, when they were in Vietnam, Cambodia, correct. Well yeah. done. <laughs> there was thirty people. It was a supporter down at Old Trafford, and there was thirty people there from Cambodia. And I'm moaning about having to go back to Seoul, which is about fifteen minutes by car, ten minutes <laughs> by car. Cambodia. Now, who would believe? You wouldn't believe there'd be a supporters club in Cambodia when you saw the sufferings that they had during that. that period of time without war. But there was there thirty of them, men and women, God almighty. That that was a real shock for me that. That was a real shock. Cambodia. Just how much do you enjoy going on the tours? You've been to obviously Asia, you've oh, been to America. I, I, I don't go on the tours anymore. The, the tours were fantastic. You went on the tours, I've been everywhere, you name we've been there to America, Australia. I can't believe how big football has become in America in a, in a short space of time. 
I'm now can't remember when I first went to America. When I first went to America with United, I think it was about 67, nobody was interested in soccer, as they call it. And then back a couple of times since then, I was back about two or three years ago. It's gone mad now. You do win the World Cup in the next 20 years. It's just gone crazy for soccer football over there. Well, you've got so many immigrants from different countries there as well that are all football countries. In terms of the, the era that you played in, are you glad you played in that era compared to the modern day, or would you rather have played oh, in the fancy I mean, pitches? I, I would just, I don't, rather, I mean, obviously, I'd love to play today. That would make me much younger. But I just think European football is now taking over. It's got big, European football, the European Champions League is now taking over from the World Cup. I think you look at the countries that are involved in the European Champions League are more interested in winning that than the World Cup. I think the World Cup, yeah, all right, it's all right. But that, I think that's the biggest thing for supporters now is the European, the Champions League. It's got so big, it's incredible. Got so massive. It's now the big thing. You've got the competition out now here in Manchester. They've got a great team, Manchester City. They've won the European Cup. That'd be, I would imagine that would be the next big thing that they'd love to do. They've got a terrific side at the moment in time. And, and you look at them in Liverpool, I think English teams just certainly, they're not Scottish teams, they're going to take over. The European, well, they have taken over for a while, but they're going to take over more and more. You'll see the big teams from England winning in Europe because there's so many players now coming from Europe to play in England because of the monetary situation. I mean, the money that's in the game in England now is absolutely crazy because of the worldwide audience that they get for the Premier League in England. Money's coming into the game that you would not believe. Definitely. Paddy, it's going to get bigger and bigger. It certainly is, and it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for your time. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song